Hello, hello, and welcome to another podcast episode of Overpowering Emotions, where I talk about everything, big emotions, emotion regulation, anxiety, and of course, resilience. And we are on our journey of resilience. If you've been listening to me, you'll know that resilience is about adapting, growing, and even more importantly, thriving despite challenges and stressors and adversities in our life. Resilience is both a process and a result of navigating life's inevitable ups and downs that we have, right? We can't always predict everything. Life comes with challenges. So resilience includes several key components. Uh, Next week, I will be talking about traits within resilient children, but today I really want to talk about those foundational building blocks that empower our children to face and thrive through life stressors. Last week, I talked about how we can't just focus on the child, and that's why I really wanted to focus today a little bit more on those building blocks that are more about the environment and the experiences that we promote to give to children so that they can build resilience and work on their own individual traits and and skills and things like that. So when we're looking at last week, I was talking about nurturing and teaching and building that resilience. And that's really what I want to focus on today so that we can look at some of those, you know, how do we support those traits next week? So these really represent the foundational support system and learning opportunities that I mentioned last week that are crucial for for fostering that resilience and emotion regulation and everything I've been talking about this whole time on my podcast for children and teens. So it's really about this week that I'm focusing on the influence from the world around children and teens and us, everyone really. Parents have a unique um, a unique role, a very powerful influence on developing you know, resilience in their children. Obviously things like secure attachment are helpful, consistent discipline is helpful, that emotional support, those are all key elements that parents can provide. Modeling resilient behavior is really important too, because we know children and teens, I mean, they learn by observation. And so our own resilience really helps set that groundwork for their own resilience. Schools are second only to family in terms of the impact of resilience. And so, you know, if one system is down, how do we build up all as many of the systems as we can around the child, just in case, you know, one starts to crumble a little bit. But schools are just as important when we're looking at that resilience. So making sure we have an inclusive and nurturing school environment that really values individuality and really encourages active participation, that can really boost resilience. But there's also the community as well, the broader community or the close-knit community. You know, let's look at community programs that focus on skill building, on mentorship. Mentorship can be so helpful. Providing a safe space for children All of those things can really contribute to the resilience. And, you know, we've definitely been seeing this helpful with some of those underprivileged or at-risk youth too. So if we can have those programs targeting those students, you know, if we can't address the home life or we can't address the school piece. One key building block here, no matter which, you know, system we're looking at is the relationships children have. And even more specifically, a supportive network. It's not just one person's job. Ideally, it's a supportive network with secure attachment. I mean, that's a cornerstone of resilience. 
this really involves uh, some trusting and emotionally supportive relationship. It can include family, it can include friends, teachers, mentors, coaches, wherever children or teens can get the support. Those relationships really play a crucial role in, in facilitating that resilience for so many reasons. I mean, strong relationships, it provides emotional support in which children feel understood and valued. And that can help bolster their ability to cope with difficulties and their self-efficacy and confidence to be able to do so. So the support isn't trying to make them feel better. That's usually where we go wrong. Those are the traps. And I've talked so much about the traps and the things that we do that aren't very helpful. It's really about making sure that they feel heard and that they feel understood. We're offering validation. We're understanding children's emotional experiences, even if it's a big eye roll for us. And we're like, it's not a big deal, dude. Just suck it up, right? We really want to make sure they feel heard and understood. That's so important. So we're actively listening. We're responding um, empathically. That's really important to their concerns. And then, and then it's showing our confidence for them to figure it out, right? So we're there for support, but we're not trying to make them feel better or to fix things. We're there, okay, so what's next? What are you going to do next? Those relationships create, so so it helps with the emotion regulation, but it creates a sense of belonging and connectedness. So it really helps reduce feelings of isolation that can really cripple resilience and self-efficacy. So it's really helping reduce those feelings of, of isolation and feeling like they're the only ones in the world with these struggles or that they're all alone in their struggles. And that sense of being part of a group or a community, whether it's at home or in the school or ideally, you know, more than one, that's incredibly empowering, especially when they're facing any adversity and stressors. We can provide valuable feedback. We can help children approach problems, you know, from different angles, different perspectives, encouraging them to look at things from different angles, just a balanced view of their abilities, of their circumstances, and maybe of even the stresses that are in their life. Through our interactions and through, you know, shared experiences with others, that's where children learn to start to develop and refine their coping skills. So for example, Talking about problems with others, that can help improve problem-solving abilities. It helps them process everything that's going on, and they're getting that support. So all of these pieces together are working to enhance their empathy, their emotional intelligence, all of those pieces. Relationships also provide a lot of encouragement and motivation to persevere, right? Even though this is really tough, even though it's hard times, I'm going to persevere through these challenges. That encouragement is so important to boost our children's confidence and their determination, and it really reinforces the belief that I can handle it. We know anxiety and all of these big emotions and, and, and one of the biggest beliefs we have with any emotional disorder is I can't handle it. We become so overwhelmed. And so these supportive networks really shows when we're making sure they're feeling heard and understood and we're responding with the support on the one hand and the confidence on the other, we are promoting that belief that I can handle it, whatever it is. I can overcome whatever obstacles are in my way. So we see that emotional support, you know, we're a reliable source of 
love, encouragement, affirmation, all of these things. That's a big piece of this. And showing confidence in their skills during setbacks. So all of that's really important. So we know the relationships piece is important. And the key piece in all of that positive you know, relationships, it's not just being a sounding board. We're creating opportunities to build resilience as well. Because remember... I'm always talking about resilience is about the opportunity for personal growth and development. Another reason why if we're swooping in and fixing it and telling them what to do and, you know, robbing them of their problem solving and the opportunity to grow themselves, that's not going to be very helpful. So within our relationship, we're supportive on the one hand, I'm always saying this, and confident on the other, where we're encouraging children to try new experiences, to step out of their comfort zone, to pursue their personal goals. All of those are essential components of resilience. Now, a key focus is providing those opportunities overcome appropriate challenges. And I know that's really hard, especially for parents, but even teachers as well, right? When we see kiddos who are uncomfortable and going into distress mode, we back off and we say, it's okay, you can sit this one out. But that's so important for them to stretch out of their comfort zone. We have to remember, it's not about shielding them from every hardship. It's about providing the support and encouragement and confidence and the environment to be able to go and try it and be successful. And even if they're not successful, to try it and realize the world didn't crumble around them, that they survived it, they managed it. And that's why I spent so much time looking at those parent traps and rehashing at the very beginning of the year, just having a whole week blast out of all of the different parent traps. I didn't even get into all of them, right? But just looking at those things because our kids need to have those challenging experiences. That's how they learn to navigate life. We need to allow children to take age-appropriate risks, developmentally appropriate risks. Those risks are so important for learning and to teach important skills like problem-solving, independence, um, their confidence and self-efficacy. So examples just in everyday life, it could be trying a new sport, trying a new physical activity, maybe once a month trying, okay, we're going to go and try racquetball this month, or we're going to go and try curling this month. Right. It could be something physical. It could be we're going to go try skateboarding or riding a bike or whatever it is. So those are teaching children to navigate physical challenges. They're they're working on their balance and their coordination. They're learning to assess risks, speed, obstacles, making quick decisions. Um, we can also purposely expose them to situations that are challenging, but also developmentally appropriate and manageable. And, you know, other children are doing it as well. We don't want to make sure um, that it's too overwhelming. We don't want to make it too easy either. The goal is really to help them learn. I'm going into something uncomfortable here. I'm not sure how it's going to turn out, right? Maybe there's an obstacle that I'm going to have to problem solve, but they're really working on their confidence in those problem solving skills that are important for resilience. Um, and you can see why those supportive relationships is really important where adults provide that emotional support on the one hand and the confidence on the other that they can go and do it. We act as a guide, right? We're a Sherpa. We can't help them get to the top of Mount Everest, but we are the guide to get there. Maybe we're helping them brainstorm solutions, right? We're not problem solving for them, but we can maybe facilitate that process. We're encouraging that persistence and trying different approaches, you know, if the first attempt doesn't succeed. 
it could be big fear exposures. I mean, that's up until now, I've really been talking about fear and anxiety and let's get them out and doing things that they're scared of. But it doesn't have to be, you know, fear exposures either. So let's take an example. Maybe we have an eight-year-old girl, Sarah, we'll call her, who wants to learn to play the piano. So her parents enroll her in piano lessons. It's a new and challenging endeavor for her. her. Lots of eight-year-olds play piano, so it's nothing out of the ordinary. Now, initially, Sarah, makes sense, is going to struggle with the basics. And she feels like giving up, right? Because she's finding coordination and how to hold her fingers and how to sit properly and learning the notes. You know, it just becomes really overwhelming. So it could just be something like that, trying a new activity. But, you know, resilient building parents, they're going to encourage her to keep trying. They're going to remind her of the other skills that she's mastered, right? What took, you weren't born just knowing how to walk. So what did you learn? Baby step by baby step, maybe you were holding on to things as you were going at first. And then maybe you're only holding on with one hand, right? We look at that scaffolding. And so then we look at all of those other things that Sarah has mastered, to now. There's been lots of things. We just take them for granted. And so now we look at how do we break that practice? You know, maybe it's her her learning sessions or her practice sessions into smaller, more manageable segments. And that way she can focus on one aspect of the piano at a time. Maybe it is just plunking away with the proper hand formation or whatever that is. Her parents are there to, you know, make sure she's regularly attending those lessons, right? They're creating those opportunities for her to still practice at home, um, finding ways to make it engaging and fun. They're gradually increasing the difficulty of the pieces she learns, which the teachers would do. So we're scaffolding those types of things. When Sarah becomes frustrated, her parents are there to support her. They're there to validate her feelings, right? And they ask her, you know, what have you accomplished? What's easy? What part of this is easy? What what part is hard? What have you tried to manage that part? What could you try differently? And so over time, Sarah is seeing these and with these experiences, she's learning, okay, that wasn't working. What's something else that I can do? Maybe I tried standing up, right? Or maybe I tried just practicing this one chord with my one hand over and over and over. But she begins to improve. That becomes easy now. I definitely know, you know, my C chord, so easy. And I can just plunk it off easily. She's learning to read music more fluently. She's playing more complex pieces, right? So through that process, Sarah's developing those piano skills while learning valuable lessons in persistence, in patience, you know, the satisfaction of overcoming a challenging task. That's why video games are so engaging. It's all of these things. I learned the rules. Don't go through that door. Go through that door. We're going level by level by level. We're learning the different buttons, the different secrets, the different people to talk to, right? The different different maneuvers through those practice. And that's why video games, they're seeing that incremental progress. They know that they don't have to all of a sudden, you know, battle Bowser right at the start, just like with piano. We're not all of a sudden going to just know how to do Mozart, right? It's just building piece by piece by piece. And so that experience is really contributing significantly to her overall resilience. That's teaching her to manage frustration, to persevere, that she's capable of facing and mastering new challenges. And it would be helpful to do something as well, like maybe we're recording the first session and then we're recording a few sessions in so she can actually hear 
and and you know we're documenting we're recording that progress that can be really motivating as well like oh man i can't believe how far i came i mean i'm doing duolingo right now and at first it was like oh just you know plugging along trying to find and now i find like i can actually even in everyday situations i'm like i've got I know how to say this in Spanish and I'm doing it and it drives my kids crazy, but that's okay. So we just want to keep giving our children more opportunities to handle more and more and more. That's what's going to build their confidence. It's going to build their problem solving, decision making skills, all of those types of things. You can discuss potential risks and outcomes with children. Certainly we're going to help them learn to assess and manage risks themselves if that's appropriate. Um, but that really brings me to another building block for resilience, and that's opportunities for autonomy and independence. We have to let kids try things on their own. We have to let kids feel big feelings. None of this is new. None of it's new out there in the research. None of it's new with anything that I've ever talked about on my podcast, right? Just because we're doing this new journey of resilience, it doesn't mean it's completely new information. They still need to feel big feelings. They still need to go try things on their own. They still need to make their own decisions. Even if you know, I wouldn't make that decision, right? We're going to keep it to ourselves. They need to learn through their own experience. You got it. You had your opportunity to learn through your own experience. And I know as parents were like, I don't want them to make the same mistakes that I did. You learn from that. You grew from that. They need to make their own. And that's really important. So things like well, I've, I mean, I've talked so much. If you've listened to me before, opportunities, they can go into the store and get their bag of chips while you wait in the car, for example, right? They can go to the store. Maybe you're taking them and you're going to go do your own grocery shopping, but they're going to get all the ingredients for a dinner that they're going to prepare themselves. But making their own decisions, maybe it's making their own decisions about which extracurriculars they're going to do, right? Learning from their mistakes. Oh, that was not something that I really wanted to do. They can act on their own, guided by their understanding, by their values, by their judgment. Um, we just went to the dentist recently, and one of my daughter's um, fillings have come out. It's sort of like crumpled up. So she needs to get a new filling, but it's her responsibility. I was going to, while we were there, rebook the appointment. And she's like, no, mom, I got to check my work schedule. I got to see, we're going into final exams. I got to, you know, check all of these things. And I said, okay, cool. You're on your own. And she knows, you know, Monday morning, first thing she was going to be calling first thing on, on the phone with that schedule. Cause she doesn't want to put it out because it's important to her. The, the tooth's been bothering her. She just wants to get it done with. But anyways, that's just an example, right? So the developmental aspect, it's really crucial for building self-confidence for that resilience and that sense of identity even as well, along with that decision-making. So we can break it down just a little bit. You know, when we're looking at autonomy, that really involves children making their own choices and decisions, you know, based on their preferences and interests, you know, everything else that I've just talked about. But it's giving them that freedom to explore and experiment and make decisions without having excessive external control or influence over top of it. My other one needs to see... Uh, orthodontist because she needs to get braces. I'm actually letting her check out a couple of clinics to see which one, you know, meshes with her. When we go for massage, she wants to read up on the bios and see which, you know, massage therapist she wants to, to work with. So letting her make those decisions. Emotional autonomy is developing the capacity to regulate emotions and to handle those emotional challenges independently. So that could include coping with frustrations, coping with disappointments, managing feelings without always relying on us or on other people. 
right? Without us swooping in to try to make them feel better. That autonomy that's closely tied to taking responsibility for their actions and their decisions. And that's a big one I hear parents and teachers talking about all the time. They don't have, they don't take any accountability. Well, if we're always robbing them of their independence and autonomy, of course, they're never going to take any accountability. So that includes understanding the consequences of their choices and learning from those experiences. That's a crucial one. And I see a lot of kids lacking this, usually because they don't have an adult who wholeheartedly listens to them and really gets and validates their experiences and gives them the opportunity to be independent in the first place. Now, with that independence, self-reliance is a really big piece in this, right, in which kids can do things and solve problems on their own. So for younger kids, it could be everyday skills like dressing themselves, choosing their own outfit, even if it's wearing slides in minus 20 snow weather, right? Um, eating their even their own basic breakfasts and snacks and, and lunch work, completing their schoolwork on their own. But maybe it's more complex problem solving. Independent children believe in their capabilities and they jump in. They're taking on those challenges. They're persisting. They don't see it as a hardship. They're like, yes, let's do this, right? No matter what's coming up their way. So that's really important. Now, independence doesn't mean isolation, right? It's not saying, okay, go out there and suffer through it all yourself. We are there to support. And, And knowing that, hey, I'm in a tricky situation here right? We're not going to swoop in and say, you should have listened to me. I told you, right? No, because they're never going to ask for help. And we want them to be able to know how to seek help, how to use available resources effectively, not in a dependent way that, oh, I can't do it. I didn't even try. I can't even do it. I just need you to come and help. That's not it. It's, hey, I've tried it. I would do that, you know, when my kids were younger, when sibling rivalry, I would say, okay, I want you to tell me two ways how you handled this situation. It used to be three, but that was trickier. So two ways. Tell me how you handled this with your sister first, and then you can come to me and we are going to brainstorm. I'm still not going to tell you what to do. We're going to brainstorm together and then you can make your next choice. So so letting them do those things that, you know, whether it's um, choosing their own clothes, choosing their own options at school, choosing their own extra... Whatever it is, that's really encouraging decision-making and self-expression. Other examples, you know, I'm just trying to use examples that I even use at at home. We do, I love, I never used to, I push so much against, you know, like good food or um, HelloFresh, those types of things. But I tell you, now we're actually eating way less peanut butter and jam sandwiches and cereal for dinner um, than ever before. We're actually having homemade deals or homemade meals. And my youngest daughter loves cooking them and she's actually choosing them for the family. And she's basing it on, no, those are too many onions. Maya doesn't like onions. You know, oh, daddy really likes this. So she's thinking about other people, right? So there's that empathy piece, that thoughtfulness piece and making decisions and, and you know, taking ownership from that. That's how children learn. They, they learn to to make choices so many kids i find have a hard time even like what do you want to do kiddo oh i don't know doesn't matter right that they're not assertive with that so they can make choices and deal with the consequences like if they go outside underdressed they're going to be too cold um making their own lunches if it's not healthy or if it's not enough they're going to learn really quick that wasn't enough i was starving those help them develop basic life skills as well, like cooking, right? 
and the responsibility to foster that independence and life task. So the, all of that's important. Letting them manage money, give them a small budget for snacks or small purchases that teaches them financial responsibility. It teaches them budgeting, decision-making. My girls, once they reached a certain age, I gave them clothing allowance. So instead of me going shopping and buy, you know, buying $200 pair of jeans or whatever it is, whenever they need it, I they have a little, it's a tiny little bit amount each month, but they know that is their pool of money and they're learning these types of things. They're learning the value of money and the consequences of their spending choices. That's really helpful. Chores, I mean, chores is an easy one. Assigning tasks, it could be something simple like setting a table or just tidying their room, but maybe it could be something bigger as well. That really helps develop a sense of responsibility, that time management, organizational skills. In my house, I don't have, you must do it by Saturday morning, by noon, but they do know they can't go out with friends until these you know chores are done. So they really need to manage. And so my youngest one for a long time, she's like, oh, I'll just do it later, 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 later. And then all of a sudden she's supposed to be going out with friends and it's not done. So she's learned really fast later, later, later actually isn't you know worthwhile for her. But this really helps promote that work ethic and, and even the satisfaction of completing tasks as well. Letting them navigate public transportation. Taking the bus or the train with supervision, I mean, initially, that's fine, but then independently. That builds so many skills, um, spatial and environmental awareness, problem solving in case of delays or route changes, confidence in navigating public spaces. There is an author, um, I can't remember her name, but she wrote... Um, uh, free range kids. And she, I believe lives in New York, dropped her kiddo off, you know, downtown near Bloomingdale's nine-year-old boy. And he had to navigate the subway system home. Took him about an hour, hour and a half. It made huge headlines. She was on all these news outlets and people were really telling her how unsafe that was. But we, our children are safer now than ever before. Well, since, you know, the 50s, 60s, there was definitely an increase, but they're safer now than ever before. We are safer now. The world is actually a safer place, but we feel like it's not as safe because we have this crisis-saturated world at our fingertips. Everything you see 24-7 is this disaster after another. I mean, they're more likely to die in a fatal car crash, 400 times more likely than to be kidnapped. So, you know, we, we have this false sense of the world is a scary place. Um, I just came across this Netflix show in Japan where three-year-olds are going out. Actually, one kiddo wasn't even three yet. He was still only two and was given some money and a list of things. And he walked over a mile down busy roads to get to the store, buy what he needed and to come home. They had another little guy, you know, three or four-year-old toddler get onto a bus and navigate the bus all by himself. So, you know, I, I mean, when I was a kid, I was eight or nine going downtown by myself. I had to get onto a C train and a bus, right? And those transfers. And if I missed one, it was, I lived out in the boonies. So it was like an hour long, you know, drive to get back. Yes, times have changed, but times are way safer now than when I was a kid, way safer. So that's really important. You know, I've had numerous calls from my kiddos who've missed the bus. I validate, dude, that sucks. That really puts a wrench in the day. So what's your plan? They're waiting for me to say, 
what? You're not going to come and pick me up? Well, sorry, like I got to work. I've got my day planned out. So what have you learned from this? So, you know, it doesn't happen again. And how are you going to figure it out? And guess what? They've always figured it out. Sometimes not the best. My one daughter once walked to school and it was a two-hour walk. She did it. I mean, she was in grade 10 by then. She did it, but it was a really long walk. She probably should have just Ubered, but she was more scared of Ubering. But anyways, you know, people are flabbergasted. They were flabbergasted too the first time they missed it, but they learned real fast to figure it out on their own. And other people are flabbergasted. Well, what happened? Well, they figured it out. They called up a friend, right? It actually ends up working out way better and they totally forget about it because now they've had an awesome morning or an awesome walk home from school. Um, sometimes my little one is really resilient in terms of calling grandma. I mean, that's it. She'll call grandma who will immediately come rushing to her aid. Um, but you know, they're finding out different ways, right? So whatever, they're just figuring it out, but, and learning how do I manage my time better so that I actually make the bus. So they're figuring things out their own, um, resolving disagreements without immediate adult intervention, Right like with siblings, for example, or even at school, on the schoolyard, letting those students figure it out. If things get physical, okay, that's, you know, if there's liability issues, okay, we're going to step in. But these, there's daily opportunities to practice because there's conflicts all the time. Doing that really helps them develop the conflict resolution, the empathy, effective communication, right? Children are learning to understand different perspectives and negotiate those solutions. Uh, let them organize a small get-together, let them organize a game with friends. That's encouraging leadership skills and planning and coordination and, and working collaboratively with others. Maybe you're giving them a group project, but it's totally open-ended. They need to work together to figure out what is their topic? How are they going to present it? What is, is it that they're going to do? Maybe, you know, for their birthday, they have to plan out everything that they want to do for their birthday or maybe a parent's birthday or whatever that is. Like, let's look at the things that they could do. Um, anything at school, you know, that they could do choosing their own topic, choosing their own projects, how to approach an assignment. You could be asking open-ended questions, but we really want them to make a plan on their own. That fosters their creative thinking, you know, their research skills, the independence and in learning. If we look at the Finland education system, they consistently outbeat everyone worldwide in terms of, you know, if we're going to do any tests just to see academically and how successful they are, Finland wins out year after year. And they really focus on this, this independence and in learning where children are, are learning the things that they are interested in. We are focusing on what their strengths are and, and we're following that. That's so important. And when we're giving them more flexibility, they're more engaged in their learning and it's helping them manage and direct their academic work. And it leads, you know, so many life skills to help them. Uh, starting, starting a new hobby, it could be painting, it could be coding, playing a musical instrument, anything like that is really good. It's encouraging them to self-explore, self-discover, right? They're learning about commitment and practice and growth. Um, every coping when they're stepping out of their comfort zone. I mean, these are just a few examples, but it gives you an idea on how we need to help them learn how to do things themselves, to navigate different situations, to develop critical life skills, including problem solving, independence, decision making. I mean, I keep coming back to those ones because those are the skills that I'm going to be talking a lot about next week. 
these are all the essential components of resilience and personal growth. So it's about the relationships, the supportive relationships, and then the confidence with opportunities to go forth and do all of these things. We want to make sure kids have these experiences and that they're practicing doing all of these things making their own decisions, solving their own problems, learning from their experiences, everything I've already talked about. Now in doing that, they're going to have the confidence to take risks, right? They're going to feel safe because they have that supportive relationship who's not going to, I told you so afterwards, right? So we've got that open communication and that strong bond that really helps them feel secure enough to go and face that challenge, to do something uncomfortable and not be so vulnerable about it. That relationship is so important, right? So we want to make sure as part of that, so we've got our relationship, we've got our opportunities. We do want to make sure the environment is consistent and, and feeling safe, right? Where kids feel safe to explore and to learn and to take risks. You think of babies when they're going to explore their environment. I mean, that's a huge part of them learning all the skills that they need, but they need to feel safe. They're going to check back in with their safe adult to make sure this is safe, right? And they want to go explore. So that's really important. Uh, with part of that, I mean, we want to have harmonious atmospheres, obviously. If there's a lot of conflict and fighting all the time, that's not going to be very helpful. Consistent discipline. Discipline isn't just punishment, disciple, you know, the root word is disciple, so student, we're teaching, but there's got to be clear and consistent guidelines for behaviors. So they know if I do A, this is going to happen, but if I do B, this is what's going to happen, not us throwing stuff at them afterwards. That's it. Now I'm taking away your phone. That's not very fair. They need to know to take accountability for their behaviors and their actions. They need to know what's to come. We also want to make sure that there's a space for them that they can just do their own thing, whether it's to play or to study or to relax or just to chill and be. So that's really important. And, and whatever it is, whatever environment we have, they have to you know, be able to make mistakes and not be reprimanded for them. We want to, you know, I'm always talking about the mistake of the day, right? Let's talk about it. Let's celebrate it. We want to encourage those mistakes so then they can learn without any harsh consequences. Otherwise, they're going to be scared to make a mistake or never admit to make a, making a mistake. So we're communicating openly and freely without any fear of reprimand. Even if they make a horrific mistake, we are not, you know, thanks for telling me, bud. Thanks. So how are we going to fix this, right? And that's true for school, too. How do we make sure we have that inclusive school environment and really focus on individuality and active participation? And so, you know, part of that, too, is just that ongoing encouragement for their effort and perseverance. It's not about the outcomes. It's not about the perfect A, the perfect cake, the perfect game, whatever it is. It's about I see how much effort you put in. My daughter just last night played a game and they're still doing this heart and hustle, right? Who worked so hard, this effort. But I find that it really isn't on effort. It's always the same girls who, you know, score the, the most. They're going to stand around. They're not doing a whole heck of a lot, but they were, they're either following a list or, you know, it's just what they saw, you know, who was getting those goals. It was focusing on the outcomes and not the effort. So my daughter, actually, I noticed, I was like, I even told, turned to my husband at one point, I'm like, who is this kid? Because this is not the kid that I've seen play year after year. She was working her butt off. And so because of the effort, they did end up losing the game. And it wasn't about any outcomes. You know, I didn't have a quota of how many goals she needed to make or anything like that. Um, the effort that she put in, we ended up giving her a yes day. 
she was so stressed out, right, that she didn't make a goal. And it's hard when she's got a sister who's doing hat tricks all the time, right? So it's just always looking at that outcome. But we gave her a yes day because she put in so we could see the heart and hustle in her. We could see that. And so that's what's going to reinforce the value of hard work and perseverance. I don't do it every game and say, you're amazing. And like, I really saw how much, you know, how much work she was putting into that. So if you have a high school student who's struggling with math, for example, but they're still putting in their effort, they're still trying, they're looking, you know, they're going to tutorials, they're 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 trying to figure it out. I don't care if they they have a C minus. I'm praising their dedication, their eagerness to learn, their willingness to learn, trying to reach out and asking for help. That's going to boost their motivation to keep improving. So that focus on effort, along with you know celebrating and learning from their mistakes, that's instilling a growth mindset. Isn't that all what we want? It's another important building block here. We're fostering that growth mindset by showing our kids that our abilities and even our intelligence, I mean, they can be developed through effort, through learning, through persistence. So getting them to see that their work or their attempts at a task as a learning opportunity, that's going to help them improve and see this as a continuing process. I don't just reach excellence. It's just an ongoing process. Uh, Another building block, too, is just teaching some of those key skills, right? So children have the essential tools that they need to be able to handle life's challenges effectively. And I'll be getting into those skills and traits and things like that next week. But for sure, you know, we want to just quickly talk about ones that you already know that I've already talked about, emotion regulation, ways to cope with stress and adversity, right? We want to make sure we're teaching that so that they have the tools to understand and manage those difficult emotions, which are critical for for resilience. And so we're creating opportunities to practice those. That's going to be really important. It's not just us talking about it. It's about going out there. And now we're going to practice and we're going to use those skills. I have a whole training program around that. Definitely check out the training opportunities to learn some of those skills because that's that's really important. But that gives you an idea of the things we need to focus on because resilient children aren't just born. Remember last time I talked about it's not just for the genetically blessed. They're made. Resilient children are made through our support, through our guidance, through the environment that we create with those opportunities to face their fears, to face challenges, to face difficulties. That's going to help our children develop the traits that are going to then, you know, help them thrive in the world with stressors. Um, Again, I'll be getting into all of this as well, you know, problem solving, effective communication. But uh, we want to make sure with all of this, we have really positive role models, right? Us demonstrating those resilient behaviors is another foundational building block. Children learn by example. So we need to show our resilience. I've already talked about this, right? How do we handle our own challenges, our own setbacks in, in positive ways? If you make a mistake, maybe it's, you know, spilling something or missing a deadline or even just (laughs) the other day, I actually recorded all of my January podcasts plus a three-hour presentation. You know, I just took two days just to to fire these all out and um, I didn't check at any point and there was no audio for any of it. So I lost two days. I cannot tell you how overwhelmed and stressed and frustrated I was. And so now I have to re-record everything. But, you know, yes, I can express my frustration, but instead of, you know, 
self-blame, certainly internally, I can't stop it. There's like, why didn't I just check the audio? Why didn't I check that it was working? And it's funny enough, I've popped on here again and I haven't checked. How long have I been talking? And I've never checked. But here we go, right? I might have to do it again. I am certainly going to check right after this. But it's about, I'm really frustrated. I'm really overwhelmed. But how am I going to do this? How am I going to clean up the mess that I just built? How am I going to prevent a similar mistake in the future? What checks and balances am I going to do? What have I learned from this, right? So we're teaching children that mistakes are opportunities for learning and for problem solving, not reasons to be overly self-critical, right? And actually this one, I've, I've ended up cutting out a lot because I know when I was recording these, these podcasts were over an hour each. So I've, you know, cut them down. I'm like, okay, they're way too long. How, how can I be a little more efficient? This one I feel is still on the longer end, but that's okay. When we're facing a stressful situation, it could be in a relationship with money at work, right? It could be maybe a, a challenging project or a tight deadline. We want to discuss it in a developmentally appropriate way to our children. Maybe we're explaining how we're managing the stress. I'm showing how I'm breaking down. I've got a gazillion things I need to do, how I use my stickies to put a step on each of the stickies and how I put it into my day timer and how some things I just know aren't going to get done till March, how I'm taking breaks, how I'm seeking support and asking for help. Children learn that stress is a normal part of life and it can be managed through healthy strategies, right? And problem solving. If there's a significant change, maybe you're moving houses, maybe you're changing jobs, involve children in the process. Discuss how the change is an opportunity for new experiences and how you're approaching it. Yes, you're disappointed. Yes, you're you're not sure, but I'm looking at this, you know, enthusiastically and, and I'm open to, to the newness of the situation, even if it's going to be challenging. So we're just showing that adaptability and that optimistic sort of outcome, that approach to change so that children are learning, it's okay to embrace new situations, you know, um, in times of financial constraint. Right now, I mean, we are really talking, my husband and I really need to budget better. And so, you know, if there's unexpected expenses, maybe involving children in budget-friendly activities, explaining the importance of managing the finances, showing how you're prioritizing needs, right? Um, and maybe you're finding joy in simple things. Rather than going to the $300 speedster outing, maybe we're going to do something here and find joy in something that's not so costly, right? So children learn the, the value of that financial prudence, the importance of adaptability when we're, you know, under economic strain. How can we find contentment beyond material possessions? There's probably lots of things that you could be teaching. Maybe we're looking at how do we cut costs? Do we need that daily or other every other day bag of chips. I mean, that's something for some reason we've gotten into. And with Instacart, oh my gosh. It's so my girls are like, hey, Instacart, let's get, like last night my girls are like, okay, we want some nibs and we want some chips and we want some. And I'm like, dude, like we just bought a whole bunch of stuff, you know, like let's look at how can we cut costs. So we've actually made a rule. We are only Instacarting once a week. So we can throw stuff in the Instacart, but we're only doing it once a week, not every single day, right? So we can look at those types of things. And we're modeling, right? Money management, resilience, how, how we can make do with what we have until our next Instacart order, or the next time we have to go to the grocery store. We're also strengthening our family bonds and communication and teamwork, right? And so there's a deeper sense of connection. 
Maybe if you have a personal goal, right? It's still the beginning of the year. Maybe you're still working on a goal. Maybe you want to run a marathon or learn a new skill. Involve your kids in the journey. Share your progress, how you set things up, how you set up the goal, the steps you're going to take, any setbacks or challenges, you know, and how you're overcoming those types of things. So we're teaching them how to set goals, the value of hard work and persistence and problem solving, you know, how we're achieving those personal milestones and the satisfaction in doing it, even, you know, even if things don't go the way A to B we had planned them to be. Whenever you have something show up every day, probably there's some sort of stressor. How are you handling that stressor, right? I think that's really important. Um, One last building block, I think still really important that we often overlook is just looking at the community and even cultural engagement, right? Engaging in cultural or community activities, that really helps foster that sense of belonging and identity and connection that we talk about. And it's reinforcing the social and emotional well-being as well. So looking for opportunities to participate in maybe there's local cultural festivals, just really helping children connect maybe to their own heritage, but at the very least their community right enhancing that sense of identity and belonging maybe there's local um youth clubs or community service projects so just some things to think about i'll leave it there today i did talk a lot but it's a lot of things to think about but remember the whole point of this i will be getting to the individual traits and skills and i talked a little bit about them today but resilience can be taught it can be nurtured these are some of those building blocks that are critical in that developmental process so our job is to lay that strong foundation so that we can continually nurture that resilience and and every every challenge kiddos face is an opportunity to strengthen their resilience muscle and I actually have um, in a couple of weeks a fantastic guest who's going to talk about his journey and there's some pretty big traumatic potentially traumatic experiences that he has had in his life that he's thrived through and has become an incredible young man today so we'll be learning about that but that's really important Um, I want to leave you with one takeaway to work on each week. And this week, I really want you to encourage uh, your children to identify the key people in their support network. And I love building, you know, maybe having a chart where maybe there's, you know, math challenges, friendship fires, um, sibling rivalry, chores, homework, whatever it is, whatever is going on in their life, you know, uh, on the top row, and then down the side column, all the different people in their life, and then they can put an X in the box. Okay, Mrs. K can help me with math. Um, Susie can help me with friendship fires. Mom can help me with homework, whatever that is, right? So having them think about those people, you know, who provides emotional support, who provides encouragement, who provides opportunities for growth. And, And I bet one person can, you know, mark off lots of different boxes there, right? And so that can be really helpful to do that. Um, then maybe it's looking at one or two key relationships. How do we strengthen at least one of those connections, you know, for the coming week? Could I write them a little warm fuzzy? Could I bring them my thing? Like I love bringing chocolate bars or something to eat, even though I hate pairing food with with anything. But, you know, it could be something like that. But then also naturally set up opportunities or naturally allow 
children to do something on their own when the opportunity opens up, right? That, oh, I want to bake a chips. Cool. We're going to drive and you're going to run in and you're going to grab it. Not just call Instacart to come and bring it to you, right? Something like that. I'll leave it there. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, next week, like I said, I'm going to talk about those traits resilient children demonstrate. So be, be sure to tune in then. Until then, have a lovely day. Help those kiddos be bold and courageous. And I will see you next time.